Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the ASIAL Insider Podcast. And today we are talking about the lack of security integration staff in the industry and what can potentially be done about it. Here joining me on the podcast, I have Darren Taylor, uh, Director of PMT Security, and Joe Paravazzini from Securitas. Gentlemen, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, John. Joe. John, thank you. Um, so let's begin by looking at the, the current state of affairs in the industry. Why is it, and I'll open this to either of you to sort of jump in, why is it that you believe we have such a lack of integrators in the or potential integration staff in the industry at the moment? Well, I, I think it's... Um, it, it's up and down, I believe. I think timing's everything when it comes to finding integrators. Different states have got more challenges, I believe, um, through the volume of work. Um, but if we can go back, step back 10 years ago, I think everyone was doing a, you know, a electrical course to, yep. to, to be an electrician. Everyone wanted to be an electrician. You know, the, the security wasn't well um, branded, I suppose, back then with the amount of... Um, amount of work that was out there was sort of second to the electrical whatever yep. for whatever reason based on the causes um yeah so it was a bit of a fight to to find people back then because they wanted to be someone else um now i still feel that that's still a problem yeah there's courses out there but i don't think it's a it's like an accreditation like an electrical trade as such i don't think it's still yeah. treated like that yeah well i know that Comtech are doing a lot in this space to try and sort of, you know, kick it along. But Joe, you used to teach out at Box Hill TAFE on the electrical uh, security electrician course. Tell me a little bit about your experience with that and why you believe we're seeing this shortage. Okay, yeah, I did back in, I mean, I haven't taught there for a few years, but when I was teaching there, what I saw was that pretty much what um, um, Darren was saying was the the effect of being an electrician versus being a security technician was create it created a different uh, uh, level of um, person, I suppose, is the the right person for the industry. So therefore, it created this gap, and the security technician sort of seemed to fit in under the electrical apprenticeship, but it made no sense. So. When I was teaching there, the the one thing that we were always trying to push through was a three-year uh, apprenticeship system, and that slowly died off with the TAFE system. So the TAFE system has probably let us down in the industry, um, and really, you know, the state governments probably need to fund more from school leavers levels into the industry itself, and then probably come out and understand what the industry really does in you know all facets of the industry you know for security electronics that is yeah do you think it's partly that a lot of the younger guys and girls coming through now just don't really understand that there's a potential career there in security technician installation work because everyone knows about electricians you know and everyone knows that as a trader you can go out and earn good money as an electrician but a lot of people if you even electricians themselves if you said to them hey, do you know that there's a really good career to be had in security installation work and you can earn quite good money? I think most of them would go, what, what, really? Is there? Well, I mean, are we doing enough to promote it? Uh, no, that's what we found at Box Hill TAFE. There was at one point, and, um, you know, kudos to Robert Wickstead because he was probably the instigator of that, and he would go and promote to the high schools in the local areas. But what we needed was a state government initiative to do that. And you need to get to all schools and let them know that there is a career path in the security industry. So that's probably where it needs to start. Yeah. 
I mean, what's been your experience, Darren? Where do you get most of your guys from? Are they coming through as qualified electricians wanting to go into security or are they coming through looking specifically for roles in security with no training or...? Oh, I think it's changed again. So we don't have so many people um, coming in saying, I want to be an electrician, as we used to be. Yep. used to get that quite a lot because of the technology i think that's where it's probably made it a little bit more difficult as well you know what is a security course i mean there's networking there's all other different facets to security right now or surveillance should we call it um whereas electric, electric i don't want to say electric electricians haven't uh, developed in their trade um but the, it has been very stable i suppose mm. the, the type of work so the courses have probably stayed the same there's mm. been you know cbus a few other things that have that have come in as part of what um you know, an electrician um can provide as in services but in security I, I think it's changed a lot now so we the people that we're trying to find back um you know, 10 years ago are a little bit are different to the ones that we're fighting now. We still need those guys, but we need a blend of what, what our network engineers slash security technicians, you know, there's, there's, a, there's, a, there's, a, there's a diverse blend of um, um, talent, I suppose, that we're trying to find. So how do you define that? How do you, how do you yeah. promote that, you know, to, to one particular person when, you know, you can find people that are quite clever that could come all the way through from, you know, running the cables all the way through to a, a network engineer if you get the right get the right kid, I suppose, that's willing to learn. Yeah. But, it, yeah, it's really hard to define what's the right course. Because mm. yeah. it seems that the challenge right now, and I base this on a roundtable that was done at the Security Expo on behalf of Diversified and ASIO last year, where we had probably 12 different integrators from all over the country in the room. And we said to them, what are your pain points? What are your biggest pain points in order from one, say, through to five? And everyone unanimously agreed their biggest challenge was finding talented staff to actually carry out the installation work. Is it partly because we don't have what could be considered a clearly defined career path in the industry. And you pointed to that a minute ago by saying, you know, we have different people from different skill levels. If we had something that said, okay, you can come in as a, a registered cable puller and then the next step above that might be uh, a, systems, uh, a systems integration technician and then the next step above that might be a systems integration technician with a networking um, qualification and then sitting above that you have an A-grade electrician who has to sign off the whole thing but how do we define what that career path looks like? I, I would say if you you would have to actually have some sort of grading level and time factor based on that grading level like for instance in the control room situation uh, just, just as an example we have what we call level ones through to level fours and so once they get to level four then there's a level five which is a supervisory level so i think and they're graded you know at each stage depending on how long they've been been doing the job and how well they do the job and then they get paid paid accordingly to that so i think we need some sort of system similar to what electricians they have you know b grade electricians a grade electricians would you agree darren yeah absolutely you I'm know once once you have a system in place in in the integrator level i think it'll be much better so who drives this? Is this an ASIO thing? Does ASIO need to be driving this? Or who drives this initiative? I, I do believe that uh, electronic security, control room, um, you know, the, the guarding, I think it needs, uh, the electronic security side of things, I think it needs to be regulated a little bit better. Yep. Um, they, they need to have some body that is 
got to put some time in, into that because if, if, if we don't, we're just going to continue the way we are. I, I, I haven't seen a lot of improvement, um, you know, especially in the last couple of years. Um, you, you may be able to uh, assist a little bit more with that, but our, our, our kids coming through at the moment are still going to Box Hill. Um, there's no real change. Um, the courses yep. are very similar. From, from what I understand, you might be able to yeah, assist well, a little bit more of that, Joe. But yeah. I, look, I haven't been there for a couple of years, but um, yeah, from my understanding, the courses haven't changed much. I know that companies like Comtech, and I only mention them because I know they specifically work in this area and they, they do do work with Asia, but I think they are trying to sort of push that a little bit. But you made an interesting point about the, the regulation. I mean, is there not a lot of regulation around this at the moment and what more needs to be done? Uh, I want to be careful. I don't want to disage you all because I think we've, we've been up with Asia for such a long time, right? Yeah. So, but um, yeah, and it's a, it, it is a growing industry too. So mm. there's a lot to take on board, especially around the technology. But oh, I think that's why it needs to be more regulated. Um, yeah. Yeah. Just it's just more effort, I suppose. Um, more, you know, going back a few years ago, I, I suppose you know the guarding was was more of a conversation. Yeah. When you t- used to go to the Asia sort of events. Yeah. But. Regulated in what way, though? Can I jump yeah. in? Yeah, jump so, in. Um, you know, the good thing I see when an electrician or a plumber comes to someone's premises is they have to sign off their work and there's some sort of certification that gets sent back to a body. Yeah. And, and it's, kept, it's kept on file that this work was done by this registered person, right? Yeah. Mm. I don't think we have that in the security industry. So a completion of work should be signed off, not just by an architect or an engineer on site or whatever. It should be signed off and given to a body. Therefore, we know that premises, the, the security system in that premises complies to the Australian standard. Yeah. Yep. That's a good point. I, I think what you, you do find that in certain verticals, such as petrol stations, right? Yep. Whether you're doing security or whether you're doing other works, you've got to sign off with your WPCG. Mm. So it's a sort of a regulation there where... Yep. What is know, WPCG, sorry? Uh, it's... Uh, I don't know what it is. That's all right. <laughs> you got we'll me, we'll, you got we'll me look on it up and we'll stick it in the bottom. practices yeah. or something yeah. like yeah. that. But, it, but primarily all the petrol stations, all the, the big ones, um, yep. you know, follow that. It's a, it's a safety... Yeah, safety regulations. So basically, when you do sign off, you've got to put your number in there. So yep. you've got to do your course. Yep. Um, that is regulated by the petrol stations. Yep. Um, to, to, to make sure that you understand what you need to do. I mean, even with customers, we all do um, um, we all do their health and safety checks, yep. right? Oh, yeah. Well, and I know I'm talking about health and safety, but they want to know, understand that you understand their environment. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 So I think that's probably the, another level is where we can do that with security. Yeah. I agree. And what about people coming into the industry, and I I use physical security like guarding as an example here, where part of the regulation around the guarding side of the industry is we have to do a criminal background check, we have to know that you haven't had a a dubious background, that you're not associating with people of dubious background and all the rest of it, that you're a fit and proper person in order to be able to hold a security licence. Is there nothing like that right now for the electrical side of the industry? And do you see that there should be a need for something like that? Or I'm not sure about electrical, but electronic security is the yeah. same. It's, yeah, it's yeah. treated the same. So yeah. basically, so on a few forms, you get yeah. a background check. Yeah. Um, and we usually get that with a lot of our customers as well. It's yeah. a bit of double up, but I mean, yeah. that's fine. Yeah. Uh, it's like the working with children. You know, there's things yeah. like that that you've got to get based on working at certain industries but yeah uh, I, there's just nothing there for security right now joe yeah, yeah. That, no i think it would be great yeah so if i was a young guy or girl looking to get into this industry and make a career of it 
where does that begin? How do I start that process? Because I think that's part of the challenge right now is I, I wouldn't even know where to start looking. Mm. What is the career path as it stands now as opposed to what it needs to be? Well, it's interesting. You look on Seek. There's a there's a lot of lot of uh, advertisements for um, you know security technicians. I got asked this last week. Mm. And there's well over a hundred for just security technicians. So if you you are, I suppose if, you, if you're not branding your industry well enough, and people aren't going to put in security technician, but there's um, there's a lot of opportunity if you want to do it. You know, we're talking about an economy right now that's looking to go into recession, where security is actually going. You know, a lot of businesses are going quite well. Yeah. Um, it, it just follows, I suppose, these type of, like the GFC and, and, and so forth, where yep. the economy dips a little bit, the security seems to, to rise. But yeah. uh, at the moment, there's a heap of opportunity. You just got to know what, you're, need to, uh, what you're looking for. Yeah, but I guess, how to search. I guess the point is, if I'm looking at an ad for a security technician and I don't have a technical background, I'm not necessarily going to apply for that at that yeah. position. Um this, you know, is, this is where I think somewhere like Box Hill TAFE that still has the course running, um, if there was a bit more understanding and promotion through that and connection with, let's say, SEEK, I mean, I don't know yep. how that would happen, but um, then those younger people could actually get directed to probably do a pre-apprenticeship course. Yep. So whether the pre-apprenticeship is an electrical apprenticeship or a, a computing apprenticeship, whatever it is, um, they get a background in electronics. Back in the day when I was studying, we did a, what they called a radio trade. Uh, so y your background was electronics. Mm. So you could actually mm. jump into security electronics because you understood electronics. Now there really isn't anything about electronics anymore. So, yep. you know, my suggestion would be if people are interested in security electronics, they look at radio trades, if there is one, or um, IT essentials, that type of thing, computers, yep. networking, and then they move from that path there and then diversify and become part of the security industry. Yep. Is there much room within companies like yours, Darren, for apprenticeships? And, and if not, why not? Why don't we see more apprenticeships these days? Uh, it's a good point. I, I started as an apprentice. Um, all my brothers basically started as an apprenticeship. Um, so a lot of our uh, team, I suppose, we've had a, a few people that have been f over 10 years in our business have started from apprenticeships, but started from electrical, right? Yep. Um, now, we've still we've got apprenticeships. Oh, I think that's where we're starting to head now. We've got, there's companies like, I don't know, give them a plug, My Gas who actually pro proactively have come out to us and you know through some government schemes have said hey we 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 can look for apprentices for you guys i think you know the the, the risk with the apprentices is whether you know they're they're interested there's a couple of kids that you know obviously aren't but um, they they're prepared to work with you to make sure that you've got a good fit so i, I think companies like that can help um, i've only noticed them in the last couple of years yep so i'm hoping you know, through them we've put on five Apprentices, yep, fantastic. Uh, yeah, which is what we need to do because I, I think you know, having um, skilled technicians doing everything is is great because you know you're going to get it done right. But there's just not enough of them, as you said. So yeah, um, yeah, I think companies like that are coming to the fore, and you know from there it makes our job easier to find apprentices. Yeah, yeah, you know, it used to be ring up Box Hill. Tape. Yeah. You said, you know, speak to whoever's there and just go, who, who's not actually an apprentice or not working? Or But most of them came through uh, a job. You know, that's why they were doing mm. the apprentice. Yeah. Whereas my guess, and now, if I, I can talk about them again, uh, yeah. a few years ago, they just didn't have any electronic kids. Yeah. It was all the other trades. Yeah. So it was it true. It'd be good, though, if, like, kids leaving high school 
yeah. that didn't want to go off to uni, wanted to go do an apprenticeship of some sort, that that was one of the apprenticeship courses thrown in their face. Yep. You know, it, that's to me is the, the, the vital way of doing it. And that's where I guess we can look at organisations like World Skills, who really are, they're a vocational education and training promotion organisation. They run this big competition globally around vocational education and training for everything from bricklaying to woodwork to chefs to butchers to hairdressers and makeup artists, anything that's considered a vocational education through TAFE. You know, maybe there's a role there that they can play in promoting some of this and getting kids into it because it seems to me on the face of it, the biggest problem that the industry has is a lack of promotion. People just don't realise that there's a really good career opportunity here for them. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I totally agree when yeah. you, when, even when you're uh, speaking to recruitment agencies, you know, they, we, they're flooding the market at the moment and you know, yeah. being on LinkedIn and all that, they all, always know when you're advertising so they come and, come and speak to you. So there's only a, a few that are security um, recruitment agencies that, you know, do a lot of that and you always you go to whereas uh, some of the other recruitment agencies now are, are looking at the electronic side of things so they yep. more so because not the traditional um, electrical sort of trade they, they're, they're coming from the unis they're, that's yep. where the networking and that is coming in so yep. yeah, I think we need to if we are gonna have to use a recruitment agency then you know there, there's other alternatives yeah Sorry, you were going to say something, Joel? No, I, was, I agree with Darren there. Yeah, okay. Um, with regard to apprenticeships, I guess one of the biggest challenges with apprenticeships, I imagine, as someone who's not had to manage them before, that there's this perception amongst a lot of companies of, I don't have time for apprentices. You know, they take a lot of work, they take a lot of energy, and I just need to get stuff done. Is that a misconception? Because... Really, you know, you're building for the future when you're taking on an apprentice. It's not always, it can't always just be about right now. Yeah. I think depending on the size of the company there, John, mm. uh, someone like Darren, where he has a lot of senior um, electricians or technicians, um, can support the apprenticeship structure where it's needed because apprentices do need to be supervised and guided and not, you know, be misled down a path where they are expected to do things more than they should. Yep. Uh, so it depends who hires them. So the, the guy, the man in the van who, you know, needs help and can't afford a full-time tech can put an apprentice as long as he's there and yep. he's teaching that young person. Um, sadly, over the time, I have seen that that's not been the case at times. So, you know, um, but then there comes a stage where an apprentice in his second or third year needs to be able to do a job Mm -hmm. and be able to do that job without that supervision so you also it's on the aptitude of the of the technician they've hired to also oh i agree totally with that yeah. I, I don't think you'd uh, give an apprentice to anyone that's working within your business some mm. some technicians really just want to get the job done in yeah. and out so they haven't got time to yeah you know, to, to show a te uh, an apprentice the way yeah uh, if you've got some large projects i think there's a lot more for them to do but i mean like you still need to be shown you can't always be the the, the person footing the, the ladder or the yeah yeah you know, yeah, yeah. Spot, they need to be shown. The scissor, you know so how long does it typically take before an apprentice becomes financially worthwhile oh, i think they could be worthwhile from day one mm. okay yeah you know, depending so, on the work that you've got so is there some way that the the government and i know it's not an endless pit of money and we've our government has spent a huge amount in the face of COVID-19 on things like JobKeeper and JobSeeker. But moving forward, 
Is there some sort of financial incentive structure that you can envision that the government might be able to offer to small businesses or medium and even large businesses to get them to take on apprentices where they say, you know, we will subsidise their wage for the first year or two of their apprenticeship so that it's not coming directly out of your pocket, making it less of a burden on you? Oh, look, there are incentives now, uh, yep. but, but they're pretty minor when you think about it. And, yep. and if you go back a year or two, is the paperwork involved with it was just crazy yeah. it was yeah. so much and a lot of those apprentice um or those companies recruitment agencies they were getting bought out by other businesses and next you know you, you you're doing paperwork to another business is taking over the other one and it was just it was too much yeah it was so much paperwork um and the incentive was almost irrelevant yeah, yeah. so i think your idea john of the government you know probably suggesting that the government would pay part or some part of the salary um, is probably a good idea, but at the same time that you don't want that to be taken advantage of also. So there needs to be also some um, screening of the employers when they employ an apprentice as to what they're going to be doing. Like in Darren's case, I know he's a fairly large company and the, the apprentices will learn a big variance of things, but then the guy who's got you know, doing just domestic alarms, for instance, or that type of thing. What is the the young guy going to be learning? Just yeah. really, he might be just calling him ruse, and that's not appropriate, really, mm. for an apprentice. I mean, if we had a three or four year apprenticeship in security electronics that was recognised as a three or four year certification, um, and it might be, I don't know, but if we had something like that that you were alluding to before, right now, if I want to go to university and study anything. Right? It's going to take me three or four years and there are hex available to me, which is government funding that allows me to pay for university right now, but then I have to pay it back to the government once I'm qualified and working in that job. What if there were a similar scheme for apprentices where the government says, okay, we're going to fund the apprentice for the three or four years that they're with you, but then once they're qualified and they're working in that role, they have to pay it back over a period of years to us. So it's not... The, the burden's not falling on the employer because you've got a cost. You have to teach the apprentice and that's time and that's effort and that's money. You can't afford to pay their wages necessarily while you're doing that. Why not let the government give the apprentice the money to do that for the four years and then the apprentice has to pay it back to the government when they're done? Is that feasible? I don't know if it's feasible, John. It sounds like a great idea. Yeah. Um, I mean, employees would jump on that. Yeah. Yeah, because you're basically getting, well, you're getting an apprentice paid for. All you're putting in is you're paying the time, the effort, and the energy mm. to actually teach them. And then at the end of it, you've got someone that you can maybe use for the next five, <coughs> six, seven, ten years, and a small percentage of their wage of their own volition goes to paying back their tuition fees over the last three or four years. Mm. Which then, I guess, just leaves us with the final piece of the puzzle. I mean, we're getting getting close to the end of this, so we probably need to land it, but... You know, in closing, is it really just about we need to be better at promoting that there's a, a potential career out there for young guys and girls? I don't think it's just that. I honestly think that the security industry or the surveillance industry is growing. It's an emerging industry. Yep. So it's going to self-brand almost itself. I mean, you, you see it on TV so much mm. compared to what you, you know, it's, it's results. I mean, you, you actually see something at the end of your job. I, I think there's a lot that you gain out of out of working in the security industry, which is different to others. Mm. So I, I think in years to come, we'll find it um, emerge itself, which I'm hoping that there'll be a lot more interest from... from and that 
there has been a lot more interest now in people wanting to do security than it was 10 years ago. Mm. So it'll be interesting in the next three years, but we do need to promote, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, <coughs> so if we if we sort of said, here's the top thing, three things that we need to do, would it be better promoting the career opportunities, clearly defining what that career path might look like, and then what, I, I don't know, having a, a properly recognised training system or, or yeah, you guys tell me. I think a training system is obviously imperative, um, whether it's done through a TAFE system or even a private RTO, that needs to be done. I think your idea of um, compensation by the government through a HEC system, system would work, um, but really the, the initial things would be promoting apprenticeships in the security industry, and that can be done in many ways. Mm. Yeah. I'd be pretty interested in understanding how, what, what the training is, you know, because I think one of the, the uh, difficulties now is besides networking and running cables, mm. it, it it's product driven. Yeah, yeah. You know, so there's a lot of different products. And, I, I think at Box Hill they might have done a bit of challenger. Yeah, that, so you know, Box at Box Hill it was uh, it was great when you know there was a change went from just teaching electronics getting boxes out there and actually teaching them product of the industry. So I think you need to go to suppliers, develop a training program around what are the you know the top 20 systems on the market and have them as part of the training course and then also give them the background on why these systems work this way. So that's a that's a really interesting point. It's a shame we've come to it so late in the podcast, but you know is that pointing towards there's a greater need for things like a standardized system like Onvif where it's like, okay, proprietary systems are no good. Uh, you know, I mean, obviously they're great in some ways, but if we want to try and grow the number of installers and technicians available in the industry, we can't have 500 products running on 500 different ways of operating. We need a standardised system where, as an apprentice, I come in, I learn that system, and then I can work with pretty much anything, anyone's product. Obviously, they're going to have different features and different benefits, mm. but I can make that work with that regardless of what it is. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I agree with that. Yeah, because yeah. there is so many products out there. And in your, like our guys do a lot of uh, training, and in, especially we, we spend a lot of time in the back of house training. So we've got the engineers in there that be experts because yeah. it's difficult to be able to do um, national multi-site sort of projects consistently um, with different skill sets that are out there. So the, the skill set's got to be um, in the back of house because there's so many different products. Mm. It's yeah, it's quite it's quite difficult, I suppose, to um, to line up one different one product that fits all. Yeah. and train yeah. on it. Yep. Um, but the basics of a security system is always the same, John. You're, you're yeah. quite right there. Yeah. Um, and the basics of a CCTV system is this, is quite the same. So whether you you pick up a few of the suppliers around the industry and get in their products to teach, they will be able to cross over that knowledge into other okay. products. Yeah. Um, proprietary systems, yeah, that that becomes hard. So you know, and larger scale, you know, systems like Cardax or you know that type of range or you know the higher end of inner range. You know that needs proper training. Yeah, yep, and they do provide that. Yep. Um, does, but, but again, you need to be able to use it out in the field as well. Yeah. I mean, you learn something like that, and you and you don't offer it as a as a company yep. to your customers. You know, it yep. goes missing after a while too, and that's the problem with the the product. Yeah. Is that because they have to actually sit in a classroom, which means that's time off the tools while they're learning that product, or is it just that they need these companies need better online resources? Where if your guys are in the field doing something and they haven't looked at it for a while, it's like, oh, but I know if I jump on there, I can see 
a video on how to do that or yeah if you spend one day a fortnight or a week on at school learning one particular product but then you go to to actual work and you're doing another you're working on another product mm. it, it's it goes missing yeah the, the knowledge goes missing i mean um that's what we found i mean we do a lot of work with certain products uh we got new guys coming in that are quite skillful but just haven't used them products even though they've been in the industry for a long time it takes them a short amount of time because of skill sets but they don't know it yeah, and that, yeah. so it'd be harder for a younger younger kid to learn that yeah okay so there's challenges there well look guys thank you very much uh it's been fantastic talking today Obviously, there's a few different things there that we need to sort of look at from how we better promote the industry through to how we better promote job opportunities through to what's the career path look like and even things like better training resources so that when guys are on the tools and girls are on the tools, you know, they can get access to things from uh, from past that they may need to look at and also what role can the government play in funding some of this sort of stuff. Yep. Uh, it's been a pleasure having you in. Thank you very much for your time. And Thanks, we look John. forward to talking to you again. Thanks, John. Thanks, Joe.